everybody. How's it going? Good to see you folks who are out there. We're looking forward to more folks joining us. And again, this is a spoiler free for all. Yes. So if you don't want to know anything about The Flash, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, or Transformers, uh, Rise of the Beasts, right? Uh, Then uh, (laughs) skedaddle, scoot, because we're going to be just saying all the things about all the things. Yeah, so great to see you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, real fast, if we could just do a, an audio level check-in, let us know how we sound. Always good to know that. It changes all the time. I don't move the settings, but things <laughs> move and change. Indeed. So, Google changes oh, its mind. Hello, David. Hello, Chick Modest. Hello, Matt. Always good to see you. MK Songbird, hello. Sashin is here. Our new friend Sashin, who has been so active in the comment section lately. Nice to see you. Hello. Tony, hi, everyone. Um, Brent, you have not seen Rise of the Beast. I don't want to spoil a Transformers movie for you, Brent. I'm a little worried about this. <laughs> also, if you aren't ever planning to see any of these movies, then clearly this is a safe space because who cares? Yeah, no, have fun. <laughs> I mean, a lot of folks just want to know. Hi, Tony. Hi, Matt. Thank you for saying that. Okay, great. Um, so, The Flash, did you see it? Not a lot of folks did. It did not do very well at all. In the box office, it only made $55 million in its opening weekend and 136-ish. It has now made worldwide. Um, to what do you attribute that? What do you guys think that's about? Uh, I, I've heard from a lot of people that they really overhyped this thing going in where you had, you know, uh, David Zaslav, who we now know his taste cannot be trusted, saying it's the greatest superhero <laughs> movie I've ever seen, and James Gunn waxing effusive, and then also non Warner employees like what, Tom Cruise and Stephen King. I think I wasn't I was not aware of any of this until after I wrote my review. But I mean, uh, yeah, apparently the hyperbole was sort of off the charts, and then the reviews came out, and the cinema score came out, and it was sort of like mm, it's maybe not the greatest superhero movie ever made. Um, <laughs> So I think the the word of mouth probably played a part of it. Obviously, the Ezra Miller Miller factor plays in in a lot of ways, just in terms of people who just flat out did not want to see it at all, much less see two of him. Um, (laughs) Two of them. Two of them, pardon. (laughs) Two of them. Um, And then also the fact that you have like, you know, the writer's strike means there's no late night talk shows. So, you know, I read a piece where they talked about how, you know, Ben Affleck does not want to just talk to any old journalist and answer any old question, but he would go on, you know, uh, shows where he knows he would be sort of taken care of. And, you know, exactly where there's Mm -hmm. sort of like a bubble of here's what we talk about and here's what we don't talk about. So with that off the map, it got really, it was really hard to have anybody promote this thing. Um, And so that played into it as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, again, I, I think we're looking down the barrel of we're not there yet. The audiences still clearly love superhero movies and turn out and mass for them. But as I have said for years, you know, uh, from somebody at the L.A. Times said, you know, the the one crop economy is what caused the Irish potato famine. And so <laughs> they really got to figure out other things that will get people put butts in seats besides superheroes, because over-reliance upon this is going to be the downfall because every genre gets exhausted. You know, Westerns were super hot. Musicals were super hot. And then eventually people were like, enough with this already. And so, and I'm not saying this is a bash on superhero movies. A lot of them are terrific, but variety. We need, we need a mix of things, you know? So what does that mean going into, you know, guns, overseeing of DCU or DCEU, whatever they're calling it these days. Like, does this mean that they need to like pump the brakes on this? Marvel, of course, has like many, many years of content to go still. Anyway, uh, I, don't you know. Know, I don't know. I'm, sh- I'm sure that given the current state of movies and, you know, the, 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 the relentless chasing of IP opportunities, I don't think any of those movies are going anywhere. I think they're all in the pipeline because, you know, the odds are still in your favor that a superhero movie will make a crazy amount of money. But I think what we're looking at is the pursuit of, and this has been an ongoing thing, if studios would rather spend $250 million in the hopes of making a couple of billion dollars than spend $50 million in the hopes of making $200 million. Yeah. Transformers, meanwhile, has made $275 million worldwide. People seem to still like that. It had um, a pretty chunky second weekend drop, though, I think. Oh, did it? Like 68% Tony, or something. 
I'm sorry to interrupt you. Tony says, I have not seen The Flash, conflicted about seeing it. Tony, why is that? Is that because of Ezra Miller? I, I do wonder, and you and I, Alonzo, were talking to our friend Christian Harloff about this the other day in a screening. Like, do people who don't live and breathe film, do people yeah. who don't work in this industry, do they know, even know? <laughs> know and or care about Ezra Miller's troubles with the law with mental health issues they've been dealing with i i don't know that the average person cares and clearly if you guys are here with us right now in the middle of your day you care (laughs) but i do wonder like what do average folks think about that or do they and i think it's also worth remembering like with what you were bringing up about the the whole james gunn version of the dc universe you know yes to a lot of people who really follow this stuff online and are interested in it they are fully aware of like oh regime change and now it's gonna Mm -hmm. blah 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 I think a lot of average moviegoers are like, oh, it's a Batman movie, you know, and they don't they're not necessarily privy or interested in the machinations of how we got here and where this fits. And yada, yada, yada. it's just like it's a Batman movie. Yeah. Um, Eric Kirby's got a question that I'd like to address real fast. He says, Christian Alonzo, top two superhero movies you actually cried at. Um, I cried at the end of Spider-Man No Way Home. When it oh. is clear that they're all having to say goodbye to each other and that Peter is making this choice to erase everyone's memory that they're going to know who he was and the times they had together because that friendship with him and MJ and Ned is so sweet. So I thought, and they all handled that moment so delicately and it's shot so intimately. So that worked for me. What about you? Have you cried a superhero movie, Alonzo? I, yeah, I might have gotten a little bit verklempt at that moment, but I can't think of one Mm -hmm. i mean like even at the end of end game there were some exuberant moments but i don't Mm -hmm. know that any of it like even the death of tony stark like made me cry per se Um, also yeah when 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 he goes mr stark i don't feel so good (laughs) (laughs) during the blip poor poor spider-man when he's dying so basically tom holland is what does it for you he's really good he's (laughs) he's a very sympathetic figure he's so cute and adorable um yes so uh teddy points out hello teddy good to see you i think the flash enters the speed force at the oscars weirded a lot of people out <laughs> maybe uh maybe not the the moment itself but just the idea of like this is the most memorable moment in the history of cinema what are we even talking about and yeah i think that definitely that if you want a moment that sort of delineate delineates the hardcore online fans and like the rest of the universe that was one of those moments where uh, there was a lot of hmm? Oh yeah, Brent's got a great point. The end of Wakanda Forever is excellent. Mm. Yeah, that that credit scene in yeah. Wakanda Forever is is quite lovely. Yeah, and the way that shot and the music. I, I you know what I, I take it back. I think I I I cried at uh at T'Challa's funeral at the beginning of Wakanda Forever. Yeah, um, Janute says the DCEU is the most toxic brand in Hollywood. There's still an audience out there for DC superhero movies. Batman and the Joker prove that, but audiences don't see any reason to be invested in this. Yeah, and those are like, I hate the word elevated, but there's like elevated versions of that. You know, they're like gritty, arty versions of the Batman and, and sure. Joker. So maybe there's an audience for that still, people who want a, a meteor take on this. Yeah, but then also like the first Shazam and the first Wonder Woman, I think were super accessible and kid-friendly and all of that stuff. So, I mean, you know, you can sort of do different flavors within this thing. I mean, that's the whole point of a multiverse, I think, in a lot of ways, is that it sort of accommodates all these different kind of visions. Like in the comics, it's sort of what allowed the like World War II era superheroes to stand side by side with the kind of like freshly scrubbed 1950s comics code version alongside the, you know, the kind of later darker ones, you know, like Batman can be all of those things depending on what world you're on. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say. I, I, I think that the difference is that like Marvel didn't go into this knowing what it was going to become. They had high hopes and they wanted to sort of craft this thing. And then it sort of built on itself organically. And they were able to then do the Avengers and expand it out and all this stuff. Whereas the success of that, I think led DC to be like, Oh, we're sitting on a gold mine here. Let's do that. And I think maybe it's harder to just 
begin with the thought of like, this is going to be a massive thing as opposed to sort of like, let's do this hero and then this hero and then this hero and we'll, we'll stick, you know, uh, 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 Sam Jackson in the closing credits for, as a, as, to tie it all together and, and we'll see what happens and fingers crossed, you know. I mean, maybe I'm naive, I don't know, but that's sort of my, <laughs> my look at how that kind of went together, you know. I guess we ought to talk about spoilers. It's why you guys are here. Mm, yes. Um, so... What are some of the things that we couldn't talk about in our review as far as what was spoilery? Um, uh, like what all happens with his mom and dad and all that? Yeah. we Well, we didn't talk about Supergirl for one thing. Yeah. Um, Sasha Kaye. Yeah. So, so the, in this, the timeline that he winds up in where, you know, there's, uh, it's, it's the Michael Keaton Batman who's now turned into the big Lebowski. Um, <laughs> No there's, wonder I liked him so much. There like you that. go. There, there's no Justice League, and then Superman apparently had been captured by the Soviets and was being held, you know, in this this you know dome circle sphere thing, whatever, to sort of keep her away from the yellow sun and not allow her to to get to her powers. Um, and so yeah, so and so it's Supergirl. But what what that reminded me of though is I was thinking about that this morning at the end where he sees all the different universes and you know the george reeves superman and the christopher reeves superman and all that stuff like you know we talked about how the, or, or, you know, people have talked about how they they left out brandon routh they also left out all the cw stuff mm. like where was grant gustin in there i mean they did have jay west i guess from the series but they didn't have you know flash or the arrow or the you know dc's legends of tomorrow like that's a whole chunk oh. of their franchise it was weird to not Give it some kind of like, you know, at least a, a minor tip of the hat. You know, there's Supergirl for that matter. Yeah. Oh, so Shane brings up a good point. Yeah. With that, Clooney and Nick Cage showing up made me laugh hysterically and no one in my screening <laughs> knew why. We were laughing hysterically with you from far away because that looked yeah. terrible. Well, yeah, it looked awful. Like we were laughing for the wrong reasons. But like, the, the, <laughs> okay, the, the Nick Cage is the thing we didn't talk about because it is a, it, it is. A, a big thing but to me that typifies everything that is wrong with this movie mm -hmm. because it is such a sop for everyone who is like followed this the the saga of dc on the internet for years you know if you know the story about kevin smith writing the script for tim burton and the giant spider and the blah 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 then you look at that moment you're like i get that ha ha and i think a lot of viewers are like why is a stringy haired nicholas cage fighting a big <laughs> scorpion i don't what is that what is that you know? also he named his son kal-el he did indeed Right? And, like, and, he's had the Superman obsession for a long time. It's been his dream to play this role. And he the got, role he was born to play, baby. Uh, he got to play Superman in Teen Titans Go to the Movies. I That's thought true. that was plenty, you know, but no. That was funny. <laughs> and that was, I guess, a, a fan service -y thing in a way that didn't feel uh, gratuitous. A lot of folks in response to both uh, our out-of-the-theater reaction and our review are like, what is wrong with fan service? How would we even define fan service? And we actually had a nice talk about this at the dinner table one night with Nick. So um, I think when it's fan service-y, and I think I'm guessing this is how you feel about it too, please elaborate, is like, when it's like, here's a thing you know without like in any way beefing up the actual film, right? It just feels like placement for the sake of placement to be Leonardo DiCaprio pointing meme to make you feel like, ha, oh, I know a thing. Right. And that's how that's how I felt about all of Ready Player One. Oh, like, <laughs> exactly. Yes. And is that is that how you would define fan service in terms of how you were using that phrase in our reviews? Yeah, and I think the difference is like okay, let's say in the Flash, the fact that across the street from somebody's apartment at one point there's a store called Grayson's, and it's like get it because Dick Grayson is the original Robin and now he's Nightwing. I didn't get that. And, see, that you know, I didn't get. See, that's that's like a little bone that you throw and it's like, oh, I, you, you catch that and it's great, but it doesn't uh -huh. impact what's actually happening. Whereas the entire, most of the, the entire last third of The Flash felt geared to like patting fans on the back for having their Leonardo DiCaprio moment, especially that whole like the that that moment in the parallel universes, which again I think might have been more forgivable had the CG not been so hideous. Like we're really mm. not good yet at the at the digging up graves part of this, you know, so like Leia at the end of Rogue One looks weird, you know, and, and, uh, uh, well, we'll talk about Indiana Jones. We'll talk about Indiana Jones, but it's just, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, it, you know, even like, you know, the, the, if you, if you had problems with the Irishman, like I get it, it's, it's, it's <laughs> kind of on the border there. And it's also the kind of CG that, 
or the kind of effects work rather that dates faster than anything. Like you look at a movie from, you know, 30 years ago that was still using some kind of like practical or let's say 40 years ago that was still using like practical effects and they still look pretty cool. Whereas you'll watch a movie from like eight years ago with like the previous or a couple of previous iterations of CG and it just looks honkingly bad. Yeah. This, so like the stuff, I guess a lot of it has to look a little weird in the flash because it's the speed force. Right. And mm-hmm. so there's like a, a swirly kind of globuly kind of, I don't know. It's like a malleable kind of almost liquid quality to the, the thing around him when he's in the speed force. Right. Sure. So I think in the beginning that kind of made sense with the whole big baby thing. Like that was kind of funny. <laughs> and like, and, and that use of it, like to point out the little details of all the stuff going on, like that was kind of fun. But yeah. when it's intended to be stirring, like legitimately emotional, it's a distraction. I thought the whole thing with like all the stuff swirling and colliding into each other, just like look big blobs of dirt and light and color. Yeah. The, the whole like the multiple timelines thing that he winds up in. Yeah. That was. Yeah, that was I, I I saw at the beginning what they were trying to do, but the more they added on to it, the more kind of visually cacophonous it became. I want to uh mention a few things that some of the folks are saying in here. Connor, hello Connor, says fan service should be focused on doing things with art that takes the material that fans love into new and exciting territories, not showing random assortments of images that fans recognize. That's a really great way to phrase yeah. it. It's a very succinct and very well sharp way to to phrase that. Shane says fan service was fun at first, but now it's so entrenched in these types of movies that it almost feels like programming fans to do the I remember I remember things and achievements of value of films overall. Yeah, I agree. And it's like if you don't have that stuff, are you remiss and are you disappointing people? I, I don't know. Like you mentioned is Indiana Jones. Like if you make an Indiana Jones movie and he's not wearing the hat and not cracking the whip and not afraid <laughs> of snakes. Right. Is it an Indiana Jones movie? <laughs> but again, like that's, you know, I, I the, the movie doesn't have to like write itself into circles to put a whip in his hand. It's just there, you know, like James Bond is always going to have a certain number of, you know, signifiers. But it's like it's it, it, they, the movie doesn't have to like t- hop the track to get him to a bar so we can ask for the martini. Like he's always <laughs> in places where he could already be ordering the martini, you know, that kind of thing. Yash says, I miss your reviews on the Young Turks with Ben Mankiewicz. Um, I'm happy you found us here, though. We've been yeah. here for, gosh, almost five years now, and Ben drops in from time to time. So mm-hmm. we'll pass along your regards. Mayor of Earth 79 says, the worst cameo is probably George Reeves because, like, he hated being Superman. <laughs> is that true. true? He hated being Superman? It, it, he felt like it typecast him, yeah. Uh, and and uh, he was not... Yeah, but I've never seen the movie Hollywoodland, which is about that, where Ben, oh, Affleck, was ben Affleck plays him. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, my understanding is that George Reeves felt like that, that he was, once he played that role, he couldn't get cast in anything else. This is well, well phrased. MK Songbird says anything in the chrono bowl looks like it's from the <laughs> mid 2000s. Yeah, like special effects should be better than this by now, right? Well, yeah, they should. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, again, we're, you know, this is the, the topic we're always talking about where like these effects houses are being overworked and overextended and given ridiculous deadlines because they got to jam these movies out in theaters. And so we're not, you know, I'm sure that what we see in movies does not necessarily represent the pinnacle of effects work. You know, what we're seeing is what, what a rush job looks like. You know, I'm hoping that with all of the clout that Universal gave Nolan on Oppenheimer with the, you know, not releasing any movies 45 days before or after and blah, blah, blah. I hope that he like allocated enough of the budget to really like pay his effects people what they deserve because you know his movies um wait no hold on i'm getting conflated with somebody else who did zodiac david fincher, fincher. Z- have you ever seen the zodiac effects reel because it's it's all stuff that you would never notice it's basically like turning contemporary san francisco streets into 1970s san francisco cool. streets so like you're erasing buildings and putting in cars and stuff and it's just it's stunning but like the average viewer is not going to pick that up while watching the movie it's not until you see it later out of context in a kind of a lynch oz uh framework where it's like oh that's what you did whoa that's so cool you know whereas this is like very visible effects work and it's often shoddy mike webb says when i saw clooney the clooney cameo at the very end i audibly groaned and said really (laughs) 
I think I might have as well, Mike. I think you speak for all of us. And then yeah. I had to explain to Nick, I'm like, that's the nipples in the bat suit, Batman. He's like, oh, okay. Caleb asked a question that I'd love to address real fast because it came up a lot in the comments regarding fan service. He says, I have to ask you to, No Way Home had a lot of callbacks and cameos like The Flash, but can you explain why that may have worked better for you than The Flash? Because I feel like it was ingrained into the story more effectively as far as Peter's journey into accepting who he is and how, what he has to do. And he can only do that with the help of the literally only other two people on the planet who understand what his assignment is, what his mission is, what his great responsibility is. And so I think it's, it's not just like, Hey, here's Tobey Maguire and Hey, here's Andrew Garfield. The way that they all interact with each other is so funny and so heartfelt and really helps propel him to his journey and to his ultimate acceptance of his purpose. And it also gives him a chance to to revisit things that went right and wrong with their characters, right? Like we talked about what was emotional in previous superhero movies. When Andrew Garfield gets to save MJ, that's yeah. a nice moment. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's why that worked for me better. Sure. And I think this also touches on what's so effective about Spider-Verse is this idea that like mm-hmm. every Peter Parker is or every Spider-Man, whoever, you know, winds up being Spider-Man in that universe is destined to suffer great loss and to, you know, like to, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And you see Miles Morales sort of chafing against that and being like, no, I I want to be the Spider-Man that doesn't have to endure that that is allowed to have you know two living parents and all of that stuff and and so yeah i think in both cases you're sort of dealing with these characters that are dealing with the sort of arc of tragedy in a sense that they have to go through whereas like in the flash it just feels more like a cautionary don't you know like a butterfly effect story basically um because you know, it'd be one if they'd made a movie where he encounters like the Jay West Flash, which is how the multiverse was born in the DC comics when those two flashes met for the first time. Um, they might have found some sort of common ground, although even then, both of those in the character in the comics, both those characters don't really bear this like you know tragedy. I think the whole thing about the Flash's mom being murdered and the dad going to jail for it was something that was introduced correct me if i'm wrong like in the tv show Mm. one of the iterations of the tv show um but yeah i think spider-man because it carries this legacy of like uncle ben and like you know all these the the the, i mean spider-man was was like the first superhero who was designed to be kicked around by the universe (laughs) and so yeah so meeting multiple ones gives them that moment to sort of empathize with each other because they all come from that that experience CMR says, to go back to the CGI question real fast, the director stated that the bad CGI was done on purpose. Do you believe this? <laughs> no. No. Because wouldn't you want your movie to look good? No. <laughs> he made the two It movies, and this is a huge, bigger even step up in terms of budget. Yeah. Nice want to be good. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Dalen or Dallin, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing your name incorrectly. Hey. It says, I also was confused if each universe then has a flash at the center of it who was running to save superman doesn't this barry care more about saving batman yeah i don't know (laughs) (laughs) that is a good question um yes and david hi david good to see you points out there's a whole how fincher made the winklevoss twins in social network the winklevoss oh yes that's seamless and we were talking about how within the flash too when it's ezra miller opposite Ezra Miller as various versions of Barry. Like that looked really good. Yeah. That, so, yeah the, those parts worked. It wasn't all terrible, but yeah, the chronodome as someone called it. Oof. Teddy asked, Chris, did you catch up with the bear? Season two starts tomorrow. Yes. Chef. Heard. <laughs> I did. I did catch up. I am ready for whatever new incarnation of the beef is out there for <laughs> us. I did not get early screeners of it. I'm just going to watch it. Same here. Um, but I hear it's great from folks who have seen it. They, they all said it's great. And um, funny, we saw um, No Hard Feelings recently, and even Moss Backrack is in that. Yes. <laughs> <My> cousin! <laughs> I'm, I'm prepared for another series of anxiety attacks with this season of The Bear. 
Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be so good. I'm excited. So thank you for urging me to watch that. Um, episode seven in particular of The Bear season one. I'm like, whoa, is this really all one take? Like I had to rewind it. I'm like, they haven't cut yet, have they? They're still going around. And then I had to read all kinds of behind the scenes stuff of how they shot that and how they how they blocked that. So that was that was and, pretty cool. And we've got two movies coming out this summer with uh, Io Itabiri. So she's having a moment. Right. She's in Bottoms. Is uh-huh. that right? And Theater Camp. I keep seeing, because I keep having to see R-rated movies, I keep seeing trailers for Bottoms, and it looks very funny. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. That looks cute, and Joyride looks cute. Um, Victor Giovanni, hello, says, here's a weird note. In the Keaton Kilmer Clooney movies, they're supposed to be the same person. Technically, when The Flash sees George Clooney, it should look like Keaton to him. That's a good question. That's true because they all have they all have the same like Commissioner Gordon, right? I, I, yeah, it's been a while since I've watched that uh, those all those films, but yeah, my understanding is that like Kilmer and Clooney are stepping into this existing world. Although obviously, uh, Tim Burton's vision of Gotham City is not the same as Joel Schumacher's vision no. of Gotham City. So <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean. I think in the comics, it was a little more clear as far as like when they did this sort of like earth hopping, you know, like I said, you have, you have like World War II era Batman who doesn't have the circle around the bat, you know, but then the later ones that do and that, yeah, but with the movie and TV versions, yeah, I think there are ones that are like absolutely sort of different versions slash visions and then ones that are like, we're replacing one person. So I don't know. Antonio says, would you two like to see Sasha Kaye play Supergirl in James Gunn's new DCU? Or do you think a clean reboot is the best creative direction to go in? Love what you two do. Thank you, Antonio. Um, you know, I don't feel like she got to do a whole lot with this role. It felt yeah. kind of dour and one note and also smothered in CGI. So <laughs> I don't really know what she can do with this. And I'd be curious to see what opportunity she might have in an expanded role like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I kind of feel like I haven't really seen her do it yet in a way because mm-hmm. there, she's she's given so little real estate in this movie. So, uh, yeah, if they want to give her another crack at it, that'd be that would be interesting to see. I've seen the argument out there. We should mention Maribel Verdu, who is always good. Mm. She's, a, lo- she's a lovely bright spot. My favorite thing in this movie, maybe. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, the question is like, why isn't Barry interested in finding out who killed his mom? <laughs> uh well, I think he'd rather have her alive than – but, yeah, that's true. If she's not going to be alive, that would be the next thing of, like, actually investigating that. And I guess maybe now that he's – I guess I guess one on the list was exonerating dad, and now that's happened. So now number two on the list could be like, by the way, who killed her? Yeah. That scene in the grocery store is very nice, though. That – I, I – I, I, going back to the crying in a superhero movie, I didn't, but I was close. Like that's a, that really, that got me in several places. And so, uh, yes. And, and again, like what I said in my review, the first 10 minutes of the flash and the last 10 minutes of the flash are terrific. And then there's the middle. Yes. Um, Cotton says Grant Gustin already learned the lesson of not being able to save his mom. So it would have been so much better with him over Keaton. Hmm. Okay, Brent points out, at least they didn't try to CG some weird Val Kilmer thing. Yeah, there's Ooh. no Val Kilmer. True. Um, is is I mean, he not well enough to do this? I, I don't know. But I mean, like, I I think maybe they wanted to set up the Clooney thing, so they didn't want to mess up those waters too much. But like, you know, I mean, we could go down a list. Like, there's no um, the Smallville version of, you know, Superboy. There's no... You know, like there's a lot of different iterations along the years. That like there was a Superboy series, a different Superboy series that happened, like in the syndicated. I want to say in the '90s or something. Am I remembering that right? Um, You know, so they didn't get every single one in there. But not having the CW stuff did seem weird, just because that's so recent and it's been such a. It's really, I think, kept DC alive in you know the televisual media for for a long time. Hi, Santo. Santo says, yay, I made it to a live show. We're happy to see you. Good to have you here. CMR asked, did someone kill Barry's mom or was it an accident? She gets stabbed in the kitchen, right? I believe so, yes. Is she like lying bloody on the floor in the kitchen? Yeah. 
So, oh, Sydney Traveler guy points out Val Kilmer really hated being Batman. I do recall that from the documentary that like True. the suit was hard to act in. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, think about it. Like you're basically limited to this, you know, like this and like the two pinpoint eyes that are surrounded by like, you know, black eyeshadow or whatever. It's it's a challenge, you know. Yes. And as MK- someone pointed out, Christian Bale is not in here either, but I'm sure he was like, I'm not signing that release. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is a good point. MK Songbird says, even the horrible Titans TV show included Grant Gustin in their multiverse scene, LOL. Oh, it's wow. not a horrible show. It's cute. And the movie I- was really funny. No, 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 no. Not the cartoon, the live action Titans. Oh, okay. I thought you meant like the Teen Titans Go no, no, show. No. Yeah, that's great. I've never seen Titans, but I've heard mostly eh. I keep hearing I should watch Doom Patrol, and I watched like one and a half. Was sort of like oh, this is okay, but I, you know, I just it's a there's just too much TV, y'all. <laughs> totally. Uh, should we talk about Spider Verse a little bit since we're in sure. the superhero world? Um, the fact that he that Miles has before him the same challenge that Joel has in The Last of Us, right? Like the <laughs> challenge is I can save one person. Or I can save everybody. And he's like, no, I'm going to do it all. Yeah. I'm going to embrace the and. <laughs> what do you, so what do you think of that? And also the fact that it's a, it's a cliffhanger, like it ends really abruptly with the tease of the next movie. I don't think I knew going into the first Spider-Verse movie that there's going to be a third Spider-Verse movie. Yeah. I, I, I can't remember if I knew that going in or not, but it, even if I did know it, it still caught me by surprise. It's like, oh, whoa, we're doing this, you know? Uh, so I guess between that and, um, dead reckoning part one this is going to be a lot of like you know unfulfilled uh narratives this summer you know that we have to wait a year for uh yeah no like i said i think that 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 this is you know in the same way that when lord and miller did the lego movie and there was the whole notion of like you know unfettered creativity and mix and match and go wild and do whatever you want versus the sort of like notion of kind of uptight everything in its own box you know sort of thing I think they're actively playing with the idea of like, can we have an iteration of Spider-Man that doesn't necessarily hit the same plot beats that all the Spider-Men's do across the many universes? And will that be disruptive to the narrative, to what fans want and expect? You know, so I, I like that they're actively playing with that. And Fast X2, Cotton points out. Oh, yes, absolutely. It's a three makes a trend. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, Connor says you need to wait for the conclusion when reading comics as they are released. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, mm, the, true. The, Connor says the ending is exactly like reading a comic. To be continued, yeah. Right, for sure, that that leads you there. Have any of you guys watched the Stan Lee documentary on Disney Plus? I watched it for radio recently. And yeah, it's very much an infomercial for Stan Lee and for all things Marvel. And, you know, it's playing on Disney Plus. But he's such a charming raconteur. Like his his stories are so enjoyable. And and uh, they do touch a bit on his beef with Steve Ditko a little bit. Do they Do they talk about how he would take credit for like... Ditko and Jack Kirby's work more than he necessarily deserved to. Well, he <laughs> explains it as like, I came up with the character. It's me. I created <laughs> him. So ergo, I am the creator, which diminishes like the sizable contributions of the person who drew him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> look, I, I grew up reading all of the Stanley like oranges, origins of Marvel comics books and mm-hmm. all of the introduction, introductions to each section is basically, then I came up with Dr. Strange, you know, and it's like, <laughs> and, and, you know, he, he was very good at, PR for himself, you know, back in the seventies when it wasn't, you know, he had a brand way before a lot of other people did, you know, he would have a newsletter, like a letter to readers in every issue of the magazine, you know? And so he definitely kind of created this thing of like, he was the central figure. And that was a narrative that was maybe, you know, good for him and good for Marvel. But I think a lot of other creators were like, um, actually. So, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how the history plays out. And I guess, this movie is yet another salvo in sort of maintaining the mythos of like Stanley did everything. You know? Yeah. There's a whole like celebratory thing at the end with all of his cameos and <clears> all <throat> the Marvel movies. Like here he is with Jeremy Renner and here he is with Robert Downey Jr. Here he is with Scarlett Johansson. And it's, it's very much a, a love fest. Uh, Victor points out Stanley documentary slides right by taking all the money from Jack Kirby painted it all as an ego battle, not mm. making all the money. 
Yeah, the money is also a big factor as well. Let's never forget. Yeah, <laughs> Mike points out um, it's from the director of um, Jiro Dreams of Sushi, which was a oh. good documentary. Have you okay. seen that? I need to. I've always heard good things about that. So yeah, this it'll is make you hungry. Superhero Dreams of Sushi. Yes, um, and uh, Mayor of Earth says I heard Jack Kirby's son was unhappy about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I saw that too. Yeah, understandably. Matt asks, will you guys be doing a Barbie Oppenheimer post-mortem? It feels like that would be a fun conversation too, maybe the following week. For the record, I think Barbie will win the weekend. That is a really good idea. I'm going to be on vacation the week leading into Barbie Oppenheimer and the week afterward. I'm going to be in, in Montreal that week afterward, but I could I could pop in. I could pop in in the morning for an hour one day, maybe like that Wednesday after they come out because it is such a big weekend and... You know, I yeah. only work on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> there will be plenty to discuss. And yeah, I think Barbie's probably going to win the weekend just out of number of showtimes. Sure. Um, although Oppenheimer does have all the IMAX screens locked up and those tend to be pricier tickets. Uh, I've already gotten an email from one of the local chains talking about like the early Barbie screenings on like, you know, the Thursday starting at like noon or something. Oh, so cool. They are packing in that weekend as much as they can. That's great. Mark Garrett says, just chiming in to say, y'all rock. You rock. Thanks for visiting us. We appreciate it. Um, Yeah, Sydney Travel Guide says, Spider-Verse is immense. Oscar Isaac was great. They just had a really great cast in Spider-Verse, and the animation is fabulous. Yeah, I forgot. Oscar Isaac's in it. Yeah, and Issa Rae and lots of cool folks. Haley Steinfeld and Jake Johnson. Yeah, Haley Steinfeld is so good and so versatile. Like, she has a... I think she has a brand that she's just like likable, kind of smart ass, badass chick. But yeah. the different avenues down which she plays that from like Edge of 17 to Bumblebee to um, Begin Again. Right. She's in Begin Again. Yeah. Right. We don't talk enough about Begin Again. I really like that movie a lot. And it's like, it fall, you know, it was, it was after Once and before Sing Street. And I think people sort of like forgotten about that one, but I, I love it. And I'm psyched to see his new one, which uh, premiered at Sundance this year. Cool. I do love Sing Street, as you know. Connor yes. says, thoughts on the trailers for Challengers and Priscilla. I have not watched the Priscilla one yet, but I saw the Challengers one. Alonzo, do you know what this is? I don't know what, cha- I know what Priscilla is. I don't know what Challengers is. It's the new Luca Guadagnino movie oh, with, right, Zendaya with Zendaya and Mike. Is it Faced or Feist? Faced? I think it's Feist. Feist? But I've it, heard people it's say spelled Feist. I don't know. F-A-I-S-T. Like, shouldn't it be like Waste with an F? <laughs> Someone let us know. know. Anyway, yes. um, and Josh O'Connor. So, yes, and they're like in this love triangle. But I did see it and I had a couple thoughts on it. A, it gives away like the whole movie, it feels like. Oh, see, this is why I don't watch trailers. <laughs> thinking about you when I watched it. I'm like, Alonzo's not going to like this. <laughs> and then um, it just seems like an interesting world for, for Luca to play in. I Unless there's like more of a, a dark side or a twistedness to this that the trailer does not indicate. It just seems like a much more conventional and standard kind of romance drama. As long as nobody him. eats anybody, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. No one, I don't think anybody does. They have three ways, but I don't think that they eat each other. <laughs> it's a love triangle. Not going to touch that one. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Feist like Feisty says, Matt. Okay. I believe right. you. Like, that's good. like, is it Heim or Haim? I was, <laughs> it's Haim. It's Haim and that's H-A-I-M. So Haim, because I've heard them pronounce it as like saying Haim. Like Haim. Haim like Christie. Oh, Haim Christie. Okay. Ha- um, Layered but, like lasagna? Yeah. <laughs> see, you guys will all understand that joke when you see No Hard Feelings, which we will talk about on yes, Friday. We Maybe will. Did, did, did any of you guys go to the sneaks on a Saturday night? I went to a sneak on Saturday night of No Hard Feelings. I didn't even know there was one, but uh, yeah, I, I, there was something that I made it a point not to give away in my review, and somebody commented, Oh, everyone's already talking about this online. I'm like, Well, I'm. Is not. it the song? No, it's the um, it's a thing that happens at the beach. At okay, night. That. yeah. <laughs> and speaking of bad visual effects, the visual effects are really bad in that scene. We'll get into that. Okay. <laughs> um, Cotton asks best John Carney song for me. It's "Drive It Like You Stole It." Oh yeah, I mean yeah, "Drive It Like You Stole It" for sure. "Falling Slowly" uh, uh, would be second, and then. Um, I, I forget the title of it, but I like the song that Kira Knightley sings on Adam Levine's answering machine 
with James Corden behind her doing keyboards at the like the the the, the sort of kiss off song. Oh right! In Begin Again, in Begin I love Again. That one. I just realized that I made a bad eating pun, and it just it just occurred to me. Uh, yes. Thank you, Brent. Thank you, Amber. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Um, <laughs> um, I really like if you want me from once because I also like good. the the song. Was that? I said also good. Yeah, I, I like the way that they. What's the word you use? It's not elegiac. It's not aromatic. What's the word where the music is inside the thing? Oh, uh, diegetic. <laughs> diegetic. <laughs> I knew I knew that word, and it's a word you like. Right, because she's just like walking. She's got her headphones on, and she's yeah. singing while she walks down the street. That is a good one. Yeah, Lost the, Stars. Lost Stars, mm, everyone says. Yeah, the Begin Again songs you know, were all written by uh, the guy who was New Radicals. Who died. What? The lead singer died early COVID. Remember, we, we talked about this. Are you thinking of Adam? Are you thinking of the Fountains of Wayne guy? Yes, that's what I'm thinking of. Okay. <laughs> right? Don't do this to me. Yeah. I'm the, so, didn't yes. he? I'm Adam so Schlesinger did die of COVID early on. Yes. I am confused. Um, someone this is up why here, we don't go live more often, y'all. We're a mess. Thank you all for tolerating <laughs> us. Eric Kirby asked, did you guys watch Extraction 2 yet? And if so, who is your action guy, John Wick or Tyler Rack? I have not seen Extraction or Extraction 2, I don't think. I think I did see Extraction. I was bored out of my mind. But like our friend Dan Waters loves Extraction 2, so I might have to break down. But I have to say, I feel like the red notice of it all has really burned me out on a lot of these streaming action movies with big stars in them. So I agree. I am not I'm not feeling compelled to watch it, but the more I hear people telling me it's good, then I may break down and take a look. Fountains of Wayne, crazy ex-girlfriend songwriter died. Yes. Adam Schlesinger. My God, I'm so confused. Um, yeah, apparently, Brent says, apparently Extraction 2 is awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I hear that. But okay. I, I'm with you on feeling a little gun shy. That is a pun I intended um, about these movies because they're just like noisy and soulless and yeah. glossy. And We watched Ghosted, y'all. <laughs> Which one was Ghosted? Oh, that's Ana de Armas. Yes. Ugh. And she's a spy. Red Nose was awful. Yeah, thanks, Grabill and Sashin, for agreeing with us on that. Um, what? So we we touched on Barbie and Oppenheimer a little bit. What else is coming out that you guys are really excited about? The next few weeks, we have we have indie next week. Although Alonzo, you and I are going to review it this Friday. Yes. Um, we have Mission Impossible coming out in a couple of weeks. I saw a trailer for something that's coming out in the fall. Uh, and now I'm trying to remember what it was. It's something that Focus is releasing. It's not my Big Fat Greek Wedding 3, although I'm sure that'll be fun too. Um, oh, Mike says we did review Extraction. That's how forgettable it is. I don't remember oh. seeing <laughs> much less reviewing Extraction. Uh, Drive Away Dolls. What's that? It is uh, Ethan Cohen's movie. He oh. finally is doing a solo effort, and it stars uh, Margaret Qualley and Geraldine Viswanathan, and it's like a lesbian road trip, and they're on the run from gangsters led by uh, Coleman Domingo. But like Bill Camp is in it, and Beanie Feldstein, and Pedro oh, Pascal, cool. and I'm like, okay, I'm down for all of this. That's uh, amazing. I saw the trailer before. I went to see Asteroid City again and saw the trailer. Oh, cool. Yes. Someone here brought up Asteroid City. Oh, Nick says, I'm seeing Asteroid City in past lives this weekend. That's a really oh, good weekend. Good good mix, yeah. That'll be awesome. I would love to talk about Asteroid City at some point, but it's only in New York and LA right now, and it goes wider this Friday, so I don't want to spoil Asteroid City for you guys, but that is a movie that could do with some... In a later some, conversation, yeah. It could do with some deeper, deeper diving, yes. Sure. Matt says, my city is finally getting past lives. Excellent. Great. Um, Sydney Traveler guys excited about Mission Impossible. You know, Tom Cruise really did ride that motorcycle off the cliff. <laughs> Are you aware of that? Did you guys know that? I hadn't heard it nearly enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Seth brings up the new Todd Haynes, May, December. Ooh, yeah. That's going to be, I think, the end of the year. Netflix has that. They just picked, they acquired it out of Cannes. Uh, yes. And, and I want to see the Almodovar short with uh, Pedro Pascal and Ethan Hawke as the gay cowboys. Are they going to show that to us? Uh, Sony Classics acquired it, so I don't know if they're going to attach it to something or maybe put it out with with the human voice for people who missed that one. I don't know what they're going to do, but I hope they make it available. 
Yes, lots of votes for a joyride here. Yes, that looks like it'll be fun. That looks fun. I keep seeing the trailer for that. It's funny. I think it looks really funny. And then one of the movies I went to recently, someone said out loud, like, that movie looks terrible after that that trailer came out. So who knows? Connor says, past lives destroyed me. Yeah. It's really, it's, it, it's a gut punch of a movie for sure. Uh, and I, you know, it's, it's crazy that A24 is put out these three films in such quick succession. So like, and I, I have to wonder if like, uh, showing up and you hurt my feelings might have mm. gotten more traction if they weren't just like, you know, slamming them into theater so fast. I'm glad the past lives has found traction and is expanding wider, but it, it seems to me like they, it's like we have these three amazing w- movies directed by women mm-hmm. and like that are, you know, I think they, they maybe all played Sundance or some festivals and, you know, acclaimed. And I, I kind of wish they'd each been given room to breathe. I'm glad, I'm glad the past lives finding an audience, but I really wish that showing up and you hurt my feelings had maybe gotten a little more time and space to sort of find their folks. Yes, um, we have a couple of folks asking about Zone of Interest. That must be the new Jonathan Glazer movie, yes? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I'm always a fan of his. For sure. Uh, no release date yet. It's also A24, as Brent points out, mm. and no release date for that yet. Um, Comic Boom says, sorry if this was addressed. Am I the only one that thinks the baby in the microwave was a bad visual and flash? Like the idea of a baby in a microwave? or <laughs> I I thought it was... I thought it was- boldly funny because i think we all know the baby in the microwave urban legend and that's a terrible thing but the idea that putting a baby in a microwave will actually save the baby from the fireball i was like (laughs) oh that's cheeky i i admire that level of like i would have liked to seen that level of bravado through the entire film i don't think i know that putting a baby in a microwave is an urban legend it is uh, the, 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 like, you know, to, to dry it off or something. And then, you know, like, I don't know that it ever really happened. So I, I thought that was kind of like a, like, I'm going to do this thing that is by all accounts, like terrible, but in this case, it's actually going to be to save the baby's life. Like that's, that's funny. That's, that's you, that's a classic reversal joke, you know? Nobody puts baby in their microwave. Um, that's a dirty dancing joke for you kids out there. Good Funky, one. fresh pop culture reference for all of you kids out there. Keep Tony says, edge here. right? Tony says, "Don't hate me. I didn't like past lives at all. That's okay. All right. We don't, we're not we're not here to hate anybody with uh, different opinions. If you like the Flash, if you didn't like past lives, that's what makes all of this interesting. That we don't all feel the same way. So maybe the next time." Oh, I don't know. Some critic has a different opinion than yours. Maybe like, <laughs> don't harass them on Twitter. You know, I'm not saying you do, <laughs> but just in general, that'd be a good uh, a good strategy. Our community <laughs> is much more civilized than that, which is they why I am so I'm so rough. enjoying the being besieged with the was it woke questions about <laughs> Indiana Jones. God, which is weird to me. Like it wouldn't even occur to me. Like, what do you mean was it woke? And I asked that during my reaction last night with with Brian O'Bear. I'm like, everyone's asking, was it woke? Like, what does that even mean? Like, why would Indiana Jones be woke? Yeah, I mean, he's always punched Nazis. He's always okay, not always, but often, uh, uh, you know, fought alongside women who were, you know, could could keep pace with him. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know what people are expecting here. Like, that's a nonsense argument. I agree. People are angry though, and so I have lots of folks who are kind enough to explain to me in the comments what woke means. So there you go. But it's just it's mind boggling to me that people aren't going to see it and are actively wishing it to do poorly <sighs> because of Phoebe Waller Bridge, who's delightful, by the way. She's one of the best things in it. I enjoyed her, but we will go more in depth on that on on Friday. Um, Mike says, just saw showing up recently. I love the pigeon that Michelle Williams and Hong Chow nurture through the movie. Yes. It's a, it's a very sweet metaphor. It's a puppet. It's a puppet. Yeah. How do you know that? Uh, read about it somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's like a Chuck E. Cheese animatronic pigeon. Uh, I don't know if it was animatronic or if there's some guy (laughs) with a, they were, if the actors were putting a finger in the box to make it move, but it's that's the story that is begging to be told remember when amy nicholson had that podcast where she would talk to people who had really specific behind the scenes jobs this could be her next interview like the guy who was the pigeon operator (laughs) in showing up absolutely 
Um, Comic Boom says, in hindsight, how much of a mistake was it for James Gunn to refer to Flash as one of the greatest superhero movies of all time? He, he's a company man, you know? I mean, like, <laughs> if, if, you know, I'm trying to, if Ben and Jerry come out and tell you that they, that they, this brand of ice cream that they're about to sell you is the greatest ice cream ever made, you have to filter that through the idea of like, well, yeah, you're telling me that because you want me to buy it. Right. It's not, it's not like, you know, ice cream monthly sent their critic to try it, you know? <laughs> so yeah, James, I mean, was it a mistake in terms of, boosting audience expect expectations maybe yeah i think we talked about that up top but i mean um I i'm not shocked that he did it because you know he's he's an employee and it behooves him personally for this movie to do well because he's about to launch into this whole other thing with you know these characters yes um we should wrap in a little bit because i know alonzo has a lot of editing to do i do do you you're you're working on your book? You're finishing up the edits on your book, yes. Yeah, got a new draft, and uh, so yeah, just sort of like crossing my T's and dotting my eyes. You know, they're all going to be perfect T's and eyes. T Love Hater says, "Hey y'all, hey, we're glad you're here." Mike Webb says, "Yes, it's in the credits. It's an animatronic, but you wouldn't know it. I would never have known that." Yeah. That's good to know. Another Sundance standout I love, Magazine Dreams with Jonathan Majors. Mm. Now it will probably get a tepid release because of the allegations against him. Yeah, that is a, a movie for which there are a lot of high hopes, I would think, in terms of awards possibilities. He was just in court yesterday. Yes. I did not know that Megan Good was his girlfriend. Uh, I didn't either, and I don't know how far back that goes. But uh, but yeah, there she was and uh, offering support. So yeah, we'll see how this plays out. But I mean, obviously... You know, if if the flash is any indication, you know, if, if a studio really believes in a project enough, no matter what's going on with its leading, uh, uh, you know, actor, they'll they'll back it anyway. David points out and um, realizing that the reason are you there? God, it's me, Margaret is thus far my favorite film of 2023 is I'm hungry for character driven narratives is what drove me to succession. That's mm, one and of my favorites to come sure. by this time of year. Yeah. Yeah, no, Are You There, God is great. And I'm sorry that I didn't get a chance to see it early enough to review it with Chrissy. But yeah, absolutely one of the best films of the year so far. Uh, you know, Rachel McAdams is just, you know, hilarious and heartbreaking. And the movie does all the things that it's supposed to do. And, and uh, you know, I was, I was telling all of my, like, siblings and in-laws with, you know, uh, pre-adolescent or adolescent daughters, like, take your kid to go see For sure. Movie. Or sons. Maybe a boy would like it too. Yeah, I think Nick would have liked it. Um, Bartleby Scrivener, thank you so much. You're so kind. We appreciate thank you, sir. you. He says, "Hey y'all, do you think of criticism? Oh, sorry. Do you think criticism of film needs to be conscious of the controversies around the project post Woody Allen, etc.? It's a conversation we have all the time around here. You know, you and I, even just not in this sphere, but just talking to each other. Like, sure. How do we feel about you know?" And Ezra Miller film. How do you separate the art from the artist? Kevin Spacey was recently out there saying, like, I've got all these projects lined up that I'm going to do once I'm exonerated of these sexual assault allegations. It's hard, you know? I feel like with The Flash, you and I tried and hopefully succeeded in assessing it in terms of its artistic merit yeah. alone. And Ezra Miller's performance is one of the best parts of that movie, his yeah. performances, their performances rather. Right. So it's a challenge. I mean, what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, like, you know, I certainly on the opposite take, try to tune out whatever kind of like positive propaganda the studio is trying to generate, you know, James Gunn saying it's the greatest movie of all time or whatever, you know, that kind of stuff. So if, if I can filter out the hype, I try to also sort of, if I can filter out the, negative associations that people are involved in obviously if those negative associations also dovetail with the subject matter of the film then that becomes you know its own thing but i i think the best thing to do is sort of like acknowledge that you know like for example if magazine dreams were coming out right now i think you would have to acknowledge the fact that sure. jonathan majors is facing these allegations and is you know having these uh you know court dates and whatever but then also sort of try to put that aside and just, you know, objectively, you know, take it. I mean, not that anything's objective in criticism, but you know what I mean? Like take the, take the performance, you know, on its own merits and, you know, tune out the other stuff. Like, and sometimes recently, at least it's 
so overwhelming that the person has to back out of whatever it is. And that's why we saw, what, like three different things that Army Hammer was supposed to do. Sure. Or, you know, the, the, you know, the whole erasing Kevin Spacey from, from that Getty movie and replacing him with Christopher Plummer, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, look, I had to review a, uh, a Roman Polanski movie out of Venice a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And on the one hand, I sort of tried to like not let that affect my judgment of it but also it's a movie about someone who is falsely accused he basically mm. did a movie about the Dreyfus affair so i couldn't not talk about that because obviously he is he felt compelled to tackle this material at this point in his career for a specific reason so it was relevant to at least touch upon that stuff Victor says, keeping track of every artist's personal life and failings is exhausting and i'm ready to just ignore all of it and just experience the art that's and again, like you were saying before, I think a lot of people who are potential ticket buyers of the Flash have no idea what's going on in Ezra Miller's life or what he may or may not have been accused of in various corners. So I think for a lot of folks, yeah, it's just not something that that, that they register with. And I mean, you know, you just sort of have to kind of decide for yourself what works for you. I, I definitely subscribe to the notion of like once they're dead, it's fine. You know? <laughs> Well, CMR points out, Jonathan Major's career is over, no matter the outcome of the allegations. However, Ezra Miller kind of got off scot-free. I don't you know, know about that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's too soon to say, I think, for Jonathan Majors. We'll see how this plays out. And it, it may well be that this becomes like a, a sad chapter that he moves past and, and you know, that it turns out that, you know, he was being railroaded and it all worked out. I mean, I don't know. None of us can predict the future on that. Mm -hmm. I think in the case of Ezra Miller, though, there was – I think he might have gotten a little more slack from Warner Brothers just because they had so much invested in this movie. And mm. this movie was so sort of essential as a bridge to what they want to do yeah. next in this thing, this basket they've already put all their eggs in. And so to not release the movie or to redo the movie or whatever would have just been so incredibly out, uh, you know, uh, out of the question that they just had to like – you know, grit their teeth and be like, oh, we back you all the way, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of factors that play into that, obviously. And so we just have to sort of see how it all plays out. Yeah. As Brent points out, Ezra Miller might have trouble finding work post Flash anyway, if for no other reason than the Flash totally bombing. But is that their fault? Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you know, know I, I don't, I don't know how that goes. And, and, and again, I think, you know, part of the thing with, what we're seeing with these movies is I don't know that superhero movies are a guaranteed career launcher anyway, you know, in the same way that like, you know, Jurassic Park was a huge, huge hit in 1993. Did it catapult Sam Neill to the top of everybody's A-list, you know, can open a movie list? Not particularly. I mean, sadly, like no. Yeah, he's a respected <laughs> character actor, but like, I don't think that it, you know, it, that it necessarily like made him into this sort of giant megastar. And so, I, you know, I, I think that the thing about superhero movies is that they, I don't, it's, it's maybe a little too early to tell still, like, if they help your career at all, if they just sort of lead you doing, you know, Extraction 2 on Netflix. Like, I don't know what the, what the final, tally here is obviously robert downey jr who went into this already with a pretty well-established career like played off to, to to get even bigger out of it but i think for a lot of other uh these actors it, we have to sort of see like do they want to keep making this kind of movie is this the sort of thing that that you know that that draws them in like our movie stars even a draw anymore you know i i think part of the whole thing with ip is that like mm. you can kind of plug and play almost anybody and so i don't know that you know, when Chris Pratt isn't making like Jurassic movies or, you know, Mario Brothers, he's making like, you know, Amazon originals, you know. So I, I think the notion of what these movies do for an actor's career has changed radically than what we might have seen in earlier eras where you were in a big hit. And so now you, by association, are, you know, somebody who can, that studios want to invest big money in. So I, I do wonder, and maybe this is just the prism of my little bubble, but like, I think directors are the stars a lot of the time. Like, look at how well Asteroid City did mm -hmm. on six screens. Like, it's the biggest per screen average. What was it ever since, for Focus? Since, maybe, yeah. Like, since La La Land, apparently. Yeah. So I wonder, like, are people looking at, like, there's a new Wes Anderson movie and it's getting really good reviews and it looks good. I'm going to go yeah. see it. Like, there's a new Scorsese movie 
Maybe that's the bubble of our world here and who our visitors are to our channel. Yeah. That people really know filmmakers. But I that's mean, my I, perception. I mean, in the 70s, that was certainly the case. I think sure. O'Tours really sort of sold tickets. I mean, yeah, in the case of Wes Anderson, he is definitely one of the few contemporary filmmakers who I think is a brand name in a very broad sense. But also, like, you know, it's also the new Scarlett Johansson movie and the new Jason Schwartzman movie and the new Tom Hanks mm-hmm. movie and the mm-hmm. new, you That's know, yeah, so like, the, it's not like this is out of the element of talking about whether or not stars open a movie because it's kind of all The new Schreiber movie. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> The new Tony Revolori movie, you know. Oh, my gosh. Who isn't in it? Yes. Um, it is 11 a.m. Alonzo, I know we need to let you go skedaddle and uh, and do your other work. I've got to go pick up my kid in a little bit. Summer is busy, you guys. Yes. Summer is not for relaxing. At the time <laughs> is not right for dancing in the streets, as it turns out. <laughs> but we're so happy that you guys took some time out of your day, whatever is going on in your life, if you are indeed getting some downtime for summer. Um, we're thrilled to see you. A uh, great suggestion out there that we should do this again at the end of July after Barbie and Oppenheimer come out all sure. wherever I am on the planet. I will come find my laptop and we'll hang out for like an hour. <laughs> that sounds maybe, maybe that Wednesday after July 21st, whatever day of the week that is. Okay. That That's, sounds like a plan. I don't know what day that is. That's is the 20, if the 21st 26th. is a Friday, it's the 26th. Yeah. I'm like trying to visualize a calendar in my head. Anyway, um, thanks so much, Brent. Thank you, Victor. Thank you, Santos. Thank you, Sydney. Thank you, Sashin. Sorry for my random comments. Don't apologize. We're happy to see you. We're here um, for random comments. <laughs> right? Random comments are our fuel. Um, Eric, Mike, Tony, thank you guys so much for spending some time with us today. Have a great rest of the day. I'm going to try and end this in a way that is seamless and classy. I'm going to press Cheers, the button everybody. Now. Take, thanks have for a being great here. rest of the day. Bye. See you later. Bye.